May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. John Gregory Tierney, J.G. for short, was a surveyor by trade. He was looking for the ideal spot to begin the building of what would be called the Hoover Dam. It was December 20th, 1921, and an accident befell Mr. J.G. Tierney, and he fell into the Colorado River, was swept away, and his body was never recovered as he drowned. He was the first person to die in the construction of the Hoover Dam project, but by no means the last. 213 persons, mostly men, died in the construction of the project, some from... Um, you know, falling or whatever, many of them weren't, uh, you know, they, they suffered from things like uh, carbon monoxide poisoning and, and weren't declared to have died as a, a result of the building, even though that's in fact what happened to them. But somewhere, uh, the estimates are 112 on the site, 213 altogether. The actual construction of the project only took five years, from 1931 to 1936. So to lose so many people in such a short time was sort of, uh, shocking, if not um, devastating. But there's something even more disturbing. Not only did I tell you that Mr. Um, J.G. Tierney was the first fatality of the project, the last person to die in the building of the Hoover Dam also died on the same day, December 20th, but now 14 years later, 1935. The fellow who was the last one to die was named Patrick William Tierney. He was the son of the first fatality who died 14 years later on the same day. To say that the Tierney family gave their lives to build the Hoover Dam is not an understatement and it is, it is certainly quite literal. It's one of those twists of history where, where truth is actually stranger than fiction. You couldn't make that up. But if you looked at just the historic irony of that, it, you might lose sense of Two things. First, the enormous cost of human life. Sure, it's quite a coincidence that, that a father and son die in the same day, 14 years apart, doing the, on the exact same project. But the unimaginable feat of actually building the Hoover Dam. It, it, um, it's so enormous. At one time, there were over 5,000 men working simultaneously on the same project, on that project. They, they poured um, 3.2 million cubic yards of concrete. I can't even do the math because a cubic yard must be you know, a cube. Um, so that's three by three by three, right? And, and so by 3.2 million, the math alone just staggers my brain. Um, but the enormity of the size of the Hoover Dam. Today, it provides electricity to people in California, Nevada, Arizona. It, it, it's the, uh, it impounds Lake Mead, which is the, the, the nation's largest reservoir provides virtually all the drinking water for Las Vegas. And it would not exist without literal blood, sweat, and tears from thousands of people who worked on that project. And they finished it two full years ahead of schedule, this massive building. I wonder if they ever thought, you know, the many hands make light work, you know. I don't think that anybody thought it was easy work, you know, but I wonder if they just thought about how it was possible. And no one who looks at it today can doubt the glory of their accomplishment. More than a million tourists every year go and visit a water stopper. You know, it's, a, it's a, an enormous and a, a, a glorified kind of uh, edifice. 
And I thought how it's amazing people working together, what they can accomplish. You know, when people join in and, and, and work together, what they can accomplish. We have built enormous buildings. Humans, I mean. Enormous buildings. I haven't built any building. Enormous buildings. We build these, these massive ships that, that go out to sea and can, can go through hurricanes and whatever. We, we have um, all these. We build this, these tubes that can hurl through the sky at 500 miles an hour. While people sit inside and contemplate enormous questions like, would you like coffee or tea? We we have all these amazing accomplishments in this. Games. We've invented things like baseball and tennis. Soccer. We have maddening endeavors like crossword puzzles and golf. You know, all these sort of things that we could just drive ourselves crazy with. And there are roads and bridges. Super tankers. We build ships that you can fly a supersonic jet and land upon them. And we have brave men and women who will fly said supersonic jets and land on planes in the middle of the ocean. It's amazing. Cars and trains and planes. There are people who are working right now on subatomic particles and microbiology. There, there are people who are, who are curing cancer and doing surgery on babies in, in the womb. I mean, I just, just saw it just last week or the week before, something like that. And I haven't even mentioned the Internet, where you can watch a squirrel on water skis. I mean, things like that. We have invented all kinds of great objects and, and, and endeavors. And if you think about just in the past century, all that humans have accomplished, all that they've invented, it's amazing. Is there anything that we can't do when we put our minds to it? And there's the rub, isn't it? We can do anything we want to if we want to do it. If we're interested in it. I mean, we have limits to be sure, but we can accomplish so much if only we want to do it. In Luke's Gospel this morning, we have the story of Jesus who sends 70 of his disciples out. In pairs, 35 pairs, to go out into the towns and villages, the countryside, and to go on these little missions. And he says they're to travel light. No purse, no change of clothes. Don't stop along the way to dawdle, you know, to just go about your... Carry no purse, no bag, no sandals, and greet no one on the road, Jesus says. I don't know about you, but that's no way to travel. I don't travel like that. I mean, I know we went on just a little couple-day excursion, and... um, and my wife took her purse and I took a wallet. And, um, and we both packed bags of clothes. We both packed extra shoes. I packed more clothes than I even knew I was going to wear because I like to have options, you know. Uh, uh, we packed a lot of stuff and take it along. And dawdle. Oh, did we ever dawdle. We're, we're great dawdlers. I mean, we come from six generations of dawdlers on both sides. I mean, way back, we know how to dawdle. And dawdle we did. Jesus says none of this to his friends. Nothing for these newbie missionaries. They're to go out and they're to go about their business. Go into these towns. And what they're there to do this work. To extend peace to people. To heal those who are sick. And to preach that the kingdom of God has come near. To give hope. 
But why no essentials, I wonder? Why would you not take essentials? I mean, why wouldn't you take a change of clothes, pack a little bag, you're going along? And I think it's this, because they are not just to be those who give, but there's to be those who are in need. There should be a, a reciprocity of giving and receiving. Why? Because this is how you make friends. If you're always the one with power, always the one who gives, always the one who, um, who hands out, but never the one who receives, you have no idea what it's like to be in true friendship. And so, go make genuine relationships. Receive temporal comforts. Give eternal comfort. Jesus says this, Whatever house you enter, say, Peace to this house. And if anyone who is there shares in your peace, your peace will remain on that person. But if not, it will return to you. Remain in the same house, eating and drinking, whatever they provide. For the laborer deserves to be paid. Do not move about from house to house. And when you enter a town and its people welcome you, eat what's set before you. Cure the sick who are there. Say to them, the kingdom of God has come near. Offer peace. Offer healing. Offer hope. He doesn't say, judge whether the people in there deserve. <laughs> Does he? He doesn't say, judge whether they deserve peace. Judge whether they deserve healing, judge whether they deserve hope, go and give it. He does say you might be rejected. It's going to happen. But go, build kindness, uh, build relationship on kindness. I wondered what it was like for the 35 pairs who were heading out. I imagine there was a little timidity, don't you? <laughs> we're not allowed to take anything, like nothing at all, Really? No reservations, no calling ahead, you know, let mom know in the neighborhood, none of that. Had to be a little scary. And they go out, and they do what they're told, and they return. Listen, they return with joy saying, Lord, in your name, even the demons submit to us. They walk off like, yikes, what are we going to do? They come back like, you're not going to believe this, it was fantastic. It was amazing. Demons, people healed. We were preaching the good, the gospel and they were receiving it. It was all wonderful. We can accomplish great things if only we want to. If only we'll take a step. If only we'll walk out and do it. Jesus knew there'd be rejection. Of course, he mentions rejection as a part of the, pro, uh, of the, part of the plan. But it's not just rejection. He knows that people are going to be hungry for what they have. There are people who are hungry for peace, for healing, for hope. He knows his friends are going to be received well most of the time. And so right at the beginning, you might have missed it. He nestles in there this little prayer request. Jesus said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Ask, therefore, the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. He doesn't say, pray that people will, be, will receive you. <laughs> he doesn't say, you know, pray that you'll be accepted and welcomed. He doesn't even say, pray that you'll be successful. He says, pray that God will send out laborers. Because if we only had enough laborers, we could bring in a great harvest. 
in my house we have this little game somebody gave us. It's not really a game, not a competitive game. It's it's a game of fun. It's sitting around a, a dinner table or in a in a family room or whatever. And it's, there's this box of cards, index cards. They're they're blank on one side and on the other side they have a question. Um, and the question, what you do is you pass the box around and somebody opens it up and pulls out a, a random card and, and reads the question out loud as if you were asking them that question. Sort of a get-to-know-you game. And it would be something like, um, if you could have dinner with anyone living or dead, who would it be? And so I'm amazed that things I learn about people that I have known their entire life, you know, uh, my children who have been in my house their entire life, I still learn things about them. My wife, you know, that gets it, you know. Some of the other ones, uh, if you could travel to any destination, what would it be? There was this one card that has been sticking in my mind for years. If you could do anything, what would it be? If you could do anything, what would it be? It sort of kind of catches me the same way uh, Bishop Murphy he used to say this, had this little axiom. You can do anything you want, but you can't do everything you want. <laughs> Joe, you can do anything you want, but you can't do everything you want. You know, priorities. But if you could do anything, what would it be? See, humans have built massive buildings, and airplanes, and super tankers. We have put men on the moon and robots on Mars. We can do a lot. Tyranny family gave their lives to build the Hoover Dam. But if you could do anything you want, what would it be? Jesus says, pray that the Lord of the harvest will send out workers. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.